All right, so we are on our last week of Head Games, and we are doing the infamous panel that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. Uh, some of you guys may have noticed that half of our crew is not here. Um, all the grade six to eights are laser tagging, and uh, I just got one text from a leader, and it was just hectic. So pray for them. Um, <laughs> I don't know, leaders might be dying over there, uh, and that's okay for Jesus. Um, this is our panel, and uh, we're excited, super excited. You guys met Josh uh, last week. When Didn't he just give an awesome, awesome, awesome talk last week? Uh, this is Justin, uh, not much about him. Uh, and then we got uh, Donna Lynn, who is amazing. She's one of the counselors of the church, and uh, she's also our executive pastor's wife, but she's the much cooler of the two, I think. I don't know if I can say that. I might get fired. Okay, uh, and then uh, lastly, we have Julie Beck. She is a mom who is of our community. A lot of you guys love her. Uh, she's awesome. She's a counselor as well, and all of these guys have wealth, wealth of knowledge as the questions we're gonna kind of talk about go through. Um, and one of the things we wanna make really, really clear is that after this is all over, after they've done talking, please use them as a resource. If you have an additional question, walk up to them, ask them, don't feel like fearful or whatever. This is why they're here. They want to invest time. They want to give tonight to you guys. And then maybe who knows, maybe it's a follow-up conversation or maybe it's an actual like formal counseling session. Who knows about what happens after this? Um, but our goal is this is not to like freak you out or anything. It's more just to A, bring awareness, um, show vulnerability even a bit for some of us. I know I, I might tell a couple stories as to some of the things that have happened even with me in this whole topic and uh, just allow us to kind of grow and know Jesus more and see how he kind of intersects into this whole topic. Um, I'm just going to ask, uh, the, the first question uh, is a little bit kind of vague. So I'm going to ask a question directed to Josh and then two follow-up questions. So the first question is, um, what if, how do I know that I'm either sad or depressed? Something kind of around those words. Um, how do I know if I'm just sad or if I'm into depression? What's the difference between being sad and being depressed? Uh, so that question. And then also, if you can just kind of clarify these terms, mental health, uh, anxiety, depression, if you can kind of just clarify those off the bat so that everybody knows exactly what we're talking about as the night kind of progresses. Sure. Um, yeah, so sadness and depression. I think sadness is a component of depression. So we all experience sadness. It's on the range of emotions. Uh, you can experience it at different points in the day, different points of the week, the month, the year. Um, when it moves into depression is typically when the sadness is a good chunk of the day or most of the day. Uh, and then it's lasting weeks and beyond. Um, you're basically in that heavy state. We were talking about last week, that kind of that darkness, that pit type thing. And then you'll see other symptoms where, yeah, your sleep, you're sleeping more, sleeping less, eating more, eating less. Some of the things that you used to enjoy doing, they just don't have that same zeal or excitement that they had before. Uh, definitely, if you're wanting to harm yourself, kill yourself, those sort of thoughts are coming to mind. You're definitely more in the depressed uh, zone or state at that point. So yeah, sadness, um, typical, it's part of um, just our regular experience, but yeah, depression is really when that sadness doesn't seem to just disappear and there's a depth and a heaviness to it. Um, the other question, mental health. Um, what is anxiety, what is depression? And, and I might shoot it over a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, mental health, essentially it's, um, kind of our, on a brain level, yet a physiological level too. I, I briefly mentioned last time, our psychology, if I oversimplify, it's kind of your thinking, your feeling, what you're doing, and then even your sensations, like what you notice in your body. So your mental health is essentially, how's that going for you? And when you're healthy, it's, okay, my, my thinking's fairly clear, um, to a certain extent, fairly positive emotions. I'm feeling a range of emotions, not getting stuck on one end or the other. Um, what am I doing? Am I doing things that are harmful to others or myself? And even, yeah, sensations. Like, do I have this heavy weight on my chest all day, every day, or this emptiness, or just feeling lethargic and no motivation? Um, so yeah, when those things are then in line, then you're mentally healthy. And it isn't typically a yes or a no. There are extremes where, no, definitely um, mental illness is at play. Um, or I guess... It, my mental health is fantastic, but we go through all sorts of stuff, um, like I said, down to the day, weeks, months. So, 
anxiety, depression. Uh, anybody want to jump in on, on that? Yeah, and I think it's where you become consumed, whether it's anxiety or depression. It's when those thoughts and those feelings start to consume you, and it, you just feel like you're in a pit and you can't get out, and uh, it can be very overwhelming, and uh, you can feel really, really stuck. So it's uh, learning, you know, where some of these thoughts and feelings come from and also learning coping strategies and tools to, to, to stop it or to get out of it too. Yeah. Would you be okay if we uh, share just a teeny bit of our kind of experience with anxiety, depression? Yeah. Um, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, maybe I'll jump in and then we can just pop over if that's all right. Um, so yeah, anxiety and depression, uh, it'll look different for each one of us, just like it will for each one of you. Um, for me, um, by God's grace, and I don't know what the future then holds for me, I haven't been in like a clinical state of anxiety or depression, uh, but I remember when I went off to university, um, I was living in Texas at the time, moved out to Victoria, went to UVic, and I basically left everything. And it was really exciting, fun to tell my friends about until I got there, and it was like, I've got nobody to share in this with. And I remember being super anxious walking into, just even into school, and then walking back to, I was renting a basement suite, and it was just quiet. It was just me, nobody was there. I mean, I could call people, and that was great if they picked up, but I didn't know what I was gonna do that night. That then went on for a few weeks, um, and then it went on even for a couple months. Um, and I remember going to a, a church event, and for me, that was one of the biggest nights of freedom to where, you know what, I grew up in the church, I don't have to go to church. Um, hmm. But then for some reason I want to. Like it wasn't a huge part of my life, it was part of my upbringing, but it really became my own at that point. And basically to a certain extent out of desperation, it was okay God, I'm all alone, I need somebody, bring people around me. Um, and I won't go too long on this one, but I remember uh, sat in the church service and the pastor called the little, all the little kids up and said, okay, kids, before we dismiss you to Sunday school, sit down here and I've got a little story for you. And I remember I was sitting way up in the balcony because my plan was I'll just pop in and then kind of pop out. Um, that way I don't have to have all these conversations. Sounds so backwards. I needed friends and all that, but I was scared to then enter in and engage. Uh, have you ever been there? Um, and so I was sitting there and I remember hearing him. He's like, hey, kids, do you know who your friend is? And what do you think they said? Jesus. And I remember like, so nothing profound. And I remember sitting there oh man, uh, this whole time. And then all of a sudden just started praying and entering into that and all of a sudden developed my relationship with him, um, started connecting with people, uh, found that night um, my yeah, friend group that were my best friends kind of right through university. And basically God helped me endure through that time, but it was tough. Um, and not trying to put a bow on it, I was able to find Jesus in that. And it didn't necessarily change right away. It took a bit of time. Um, but it was a struggle, so. Um, yeah, I think one of my uh, experiences with anxiety, I've had a few, but this one stands out. Uh, any of you guys know what the NLS course is? Uh, when you're becoming a lifeguard, it, it kind of what establishes you as a person who is actually now certified to save lives at a pool. Uh, or, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of sketchy. Um, so it was uh, actually the day before simulations, and live simulations look like um, your coach or your teacher saying, okay, there's a person in the deep end with a spinal, they're not breathing, uh, they're unconscious, and go. And you work through it. And if you uh, pass, you did everything right, of course, um, but there's complications along the way. So everyone in my class is so anxious and stressed about this. Um, I go home and I'm kind of hanging out with my family, normal situation, we're just talking. And then right on the spot, out of nowhere, I just start puking. And my stomach is just going absolutely insane, churning in inside of me. Um, it's absolutely amazing what the body can do when you're in a, in a, in a stress state, in a, a state of anxiety. Um, yeah, and I just had no explanation for it other than the fact of what my perspective was on the day to come the next day. Um, another one of my experiences with uh, anxiety, but also mixed in with a little bit of depression was uh, similar to Josh when I actually uh, was leaving a school and going to a new one. Um, and I had no friends, knew no one. Um, and the teacher was excessively um, 
out of this world and rude and mean. Uh, didn't really have a connection piece with any students, and so I actually started to gain um, some anxiety, and I actually uh, moved into uh, growing, um, uh, sorry, moving into uh, developing OCD. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with severe OCD, having over 50 traits that I would do in a day. You know, I would, I would not be able to write straight. If I couldn't do it, I would, I would rewrite it, erase it all, and it was actually hindering my life, hindering my work, hindering my friendships. Um, and now I'm a new guy in a school when my relationships are being hindered, something must be wrong with me. So from anxiety, moved straight into depression. Um, not severe depression, um, but still a long period of time where uh, there was something wrong with me. It was hard to kind of feel good about myself. Started to feel really stupid on a daily basis because I couldn't get my work done. Everyone else could. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and through God's grace, over years and years of support, my parents caring for me, making good friends, um, finding friends that actually cared about what I was going through, um, and also falling deeper in love with God. Um, I was able to actually come out of that, and I, I only have one trait now that I, can, that I know of, and uh, it's something to do with washing my hands in soap, but I don't, yeah, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> That's awesome to know. Good to know. Um, I haven't really suffered from anxiety and depression, but I grew up with a mom who did. And so I wish someone, looking back now and as I got older, I wish someone had walked alongside me and said, this will help, this will change. Your mom doesn't love you any less or any more. And I wish someone had. And so as I got older, I just thought, you know, I love to walk alongside people and help them through some tough stuff. So that's what I do. I, I walk side, alongside some of your parents. I walk along some of you guys as you go through stuff, tough stuff because it's hard out there. So I think you really need to make sure that what you're going through, you're not going through alone. You're not the only one. Someone's willing to listen. It might be one of us. It might be a teacher. It might be your parents. But someone is willing to listen. So keep trying to find that person that will listen to you and guide you through. Yeah, and I think just following up to that is uh, you may have already experienced you know, some anxiety or depression, or you may not have, but life, it's inevitable that there's going to be bumps along the way. And so, you know, you could experience something like that down the road. And um, it's just good to know that, you know, these are things that you can work through and you can get help and they're, they are very treatable. So, um, yeah, when I was, um, in my very early teens, my parents were, uh, their marriage was high, high conflict, and uh, they decided to separate, and I was really sad about that. I was, I was, you know, knew that that was gonna, uh, so many changes were gonna come with that, and, and you know, my whole sense of stability was gonna change, and um, I, my mother was getting angry with me because I was sad and she was like, what, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I'm really sad that you and dad are, are divorcing. And she just looked at me and she said, what do you think? You're the only kid whose parents are divorcing? And I just knew at that point that uh, I kind of shut down. I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get support from them. And I, it just made me feel even more sad and, uh, and alone. And uh, so I... I didn't have a clinical depression, but I really kind of went down from there. It was kind of a, one of those critical points. And, um, you know, worked my way through that. And uh, when I was in university, um, my, the one person in my family that was a Christian was my grandmother. And she, so she was my uh, close tie to my faith and, and becoming a Christian when I was 21. And when I was in university, um, she had cancer and she was sick and she was in the hospital. Uh, but I was in one of my lectures and uh, the campus police came to the lecture and they asked for, they called my name and so I put up my hand. 
and I didn't know if I was in trouble or what had, ha what had happened. And they said, so they called me out and they said, you need to get to the hospital immediately. Your grandmother's dying. And so I drove and I, it was like a 25 minute drive and I was, you know, speeding the whole way and just very panicky. And I got there right, you know, to go read the 23rd Psalm with her and hold her hand and be with her and the rest of the family when she died. But the next, uh, day that I went to school, um, I went to get in my car and I had a full-blown panic attack and I didn't know what it was and it was very scary and I had to call one of my friends and come and pick me up and uh, I couldn't drive on the highway for about a month after that and so I had to work my way out of that and, and learn how to, you know, get, get past that because I drive today <laughs> on highway, so yeah. All right, highway driving. Gotta love it. Uh, okay. Um, one of the things uh, that, that's, I think, really important when you guys were talking at the end there was just a lot of times when we talk about anxiety, we talk about depression, we kind of focus on the subject who actually is dealing with it, but not so often do we kind of talk about the friends or those people around them and, oh my gosh, somebody just told me that they're anxious or somebody just told me that they're depressed. I have no idea what, what I'm doing. Um, so one of the questions asks, my friend just told me... Um, they have anxiety or they're anxious, what do I do about that? Um, so maybe you guys could speak on, on that. What would be kind of just some basic tips of what you would do, friend with anxiety would be able to just... First of all, you have to be their friend, right? You're their friend, they're trusting you with this. They're not necessarily trusting you to fix it. And they might not even want you to fix it. They may not want you to tell anybody about it, but you have to figure out how anxious are they? How depressed are they? What are, what are their plans? If they have any plans, are they, are they not able to get their schoolwork done? Are they not able? What's making them unhappy? But you don't have to solve it. You can figure it out, help them figure it out. And then maybe help them figure out, if you're their friend, you should know their trusted adult in their world. So it might be a parent, it might be your parent. If your friend has come to you, it might be your, their parent. Or it might be one of the youth leaders. So help them do that. So don't feel like, i got to fix this for them. But walk alongside them. Be their friend. Okay, so now the reverse of that, uh, the question that's on the back here, sometimes I get completely overwhelmed with my anxiety. Uh, how do I then go with dealing with that? What's kind of some helps or maybe something that I, as the person dealing with this problem, what do I do? Maybe, Justin, you could maybe hop on, on that question. Yeah, I would start to figure out what's triggering it. Uh, that would be the first thing. I mean, there's, there, we all have triggers for anxiety, uh, some more than others. Uh, some triggers that I have for anxiety may trigger none of you in this room. Um, but some triggers that you have uh, will not t affect me at all. So it's definitely about figuring out what exactly are we talking about that's causing the anxiety. And I think there are practical tools too. So um, it depends on the nature of it. Um, I totally agree. Uh, so if you're sitting there and all of a sudden your heart's starting to jump out of your chest or more of a, a panic type thing, then people will say, hey, take a deep breath. But there's something huge to that. It sounds so simple. But it, it's literally your heart's trying to jump out of your chest and your lungs are... Um, they get really small and they just start pumping air because you're trying to get oxygen and blood and all that flowing. And so the best way to reverse that is to start to really just slow things down a little bit. And if you're kind of <laughs> slowing down isn't all of a sudden just <clears throat> it's you just try to slow your breath down a little bit on each end. Um, they call it diaphragmatic breathing. I don't know if any singers are in the room, but they kind of teach that. And uh, I used to work with kids uh, a long time ago. And I'd get them to lay down. And when you're panicking, your chest goes up and it's kind of like <laughs> that whole thing. And it's, well, we get a little teddy bear, put it on their tummy and just say, can you rock the teddy bear to sleep? Can you try to do that? And what they're having to do is slowly kind of like fill their belly with air. Uh, you're not really, but you're pushing your diaphragm down and, and then holding and then down and you're kind of rocking it to sleep. And what happens is your diaphragm goes down, your lungs become bigger, they can take in more air, heart rate starts to slow down, your thinking starts slowing down, your body starts slowing down and you start calming down that much quicker. So 
that was something that somebody taught me. Um, while I never got to the panic level, I would get like I would feel that pressure, um, and I'd get it more in social situations, walking into a room, and all of a sudden, ooh, I'm noticing that. And the cool thing is, it's not like you're having to sit there and um, um, and trying to calm everything down. It's Literally, I could have been doing it the whole time here and you'd have no idea. I'm just slowing down, taking those deep breaths. You can do that if you have a presentation, if you have difficult conversation, if you're gonna ask somebody out, whatever you're gonna do, just anything to kind of keep that heart rate down. Um, yeah, so there are practical things you can do as well. Do that last comment you just said? Every <laughs> I heard some single giggling. guy connected to that right there. <laughs> Gav? All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I, I've also been in the situation too where, um, and, and one of the most important things that we've got to realize is anxiety is, Josh, they've all said before, it doesn't look the same for every single person. So in some areas, uh, maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't deal with kind of just the constant anxiety and worry always, but it's very like violent and very quick in panic attacks, which is going to be kind of... Um, you guys can speak to this, but like percentile-wise is a lot in high school, young adult ages is where that kind of comes out. And I felt that, and I've only had one experience and one bout with that thing. It was kind of funny. Justin was there, and we were, we were hanging out. We were doing something. An event happened, and I went home, and driving home was the craziest thing. Have you guys ever been like in the middle of an earthquake before, and you're kind of just sitting there, and you're like, everything around you is shaking, and you're like, this is the most terrifying thing. God, why would you make this happen, or whatever? And you start questioning everything. Thing. That was kind of the feeling, except for inside. It was my breathing was rocking. It was everything's moving all at the same time. And I remember running into my house, going upstairs into my room, and just going onto my bed and just shaking of just like uncontrollable, you know, saliva. This spit is all coming together. It was disgusting. And I was freaking out. And the only thing I could think of in my mind was I needed to call this one person because they had dealt with this before and called them right away. And honestly, like, if you have anyone like this, like the calm, like, you can hear it when Josh talks. You're just like, life is better, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, so this person was that individual. And so they're kind of just talked me through everything. And it was that exact, it was, she just said, breathe really, really deeply into your nose and then exhale through your mouth. And so I'm sitting there like, <laughs> you know, you get into that kind of crying mode or whatever, and breathing it through my nose and then slowly exhaling out of my mouth. And it was really just, somebody came alongside, it was a practical tip like breathing, and in that moment, sure, it took me a while to kind of calm down and get back to my senses and whatever, but it was the only time that had ever happened to me, it never relapsed again, never occurred, and that's really all it was. It was one good friend who took the time. And I think that's super important for us, especially in the society that we live in, where, to be honest, a lot of us don't even know our neighbors. Relationships are the biggest problem at times, even with this issue. And that's one of the things that we, as obviously as a people following Jesus together, and we've talked about this, that you as a follower of Jesus are not called to just attend a thing, but, but to belong. We want to attend church and not be the church, but being the church is being that kind of individual. And, and just being there for that, for that person. Yeah, um, and I just wanted to say too is one of the things that kind of um, contributes and can make uh, anxiety and depression worse is isolation, right? And uh, because when you're too isolated, you feel more depressed. And when um, you feel like you have nobody to talk to, your thoughts can spiral right out of control and you can go to really bad places if you let yourself. So um, having that social support network is very important, yeah. Um, yeah, and with that, this is also kind of like a weird conversation for those of you who haven't kind of been in the middle of it. And I know I've had it sometimes where, say a student will come up to me and they'll say something like, um, I'm dealing with anxiety. And in my mind, if I'm going to be really honest, the first thing is, oh, are you really? And that's like kind of the first thing that pops into my mind. Maybe I'm the worst person in the room, or maybe some of you have felt the same way. Um, but we have a question that kind of talks about that. How do I help someone with anxiety when I feel, uh, no, that's not even it. Uh, what do you do when someone tells you about their anxiety and you can't tell if they just want attention? I can't tell whether they're serious or not. anyone well my take on that is <clears throat> as a good friend to just listen and support even if a person is attention seeking 
they're attention seeking for a reason. Chances are there's been some kind of traumatic event or something that um, where they have felt that, uh, you know, th basically they haven't um, had those needs met. For, you know, they could be attachment needs or, or um, it could have been just uh, an event that really left them feeling, um, what's the word? Help me out with the word. Um, yeah, so either way, whether it's attention seeking or it's anxiety, it's not really, you know, your issue to kind of try and diagnose, but, you know, you can support your friend. Um, you can um, recommend that they see a counselor or somebody at school and talk about it. That's probably the most important thing either way. I think an important piece, not just for this, but for life, is we need to move away from becoming the judge, jury, and executioners. Um, too many times we're ready to drop the hammer with the story that we see, um, or we're just guessing, we're assuming. Um, and so you actually need, as a friend, uh, or even as if someone's approaching you and you're not that good of friends, become curious. Because if it's not real, the bluff will come up. Right? If you're cu genuinely curious and wondering what it's like to be in their shoes and get them to explain it, if they're opening up to you, really try to put yourself in their shoes. Understand what it's like to be that person. It, it, the bluff will come up if, it, if it's, and, and then you'll know. And, and then I would challenge yourself too if you're asking that question, why, why am I perceiving everybody else as getting attention? Um, yeah, maybe you have an issue with wanting to always be in the spotlight or your problems are always bigger than theirs and no one can have a bigger problem than you. Um, yeah. And I think you can ask them too, how can I best be there for you? Um, yeah, and I like, um, I like what they're saying too. It's, uh, almost doesn't matter. You need to come along. If they need attention, okay, try to be there, give the attention to a certain extent. You need to have your own boundaries too within there too. You need to be a good friend. And there are sadly some people, they'll just kind of suck time and life and all that out of you. So know your limits, know what you can do and what you can't do. But even ask them if you're feeling stuck, like, is this even real? What's going on? But hey, what do you need? How can I be there for you? How can I support you? Um, it just seems like you're in this anxious state often. And, and I think, you know, uh, many of us are extroverts and many of us are introverts and people who are extroverted think out loud so they're more likely to voice you know how they're feeling and introverts are more likely to to kind of um, be very very safe with who they share that with so you know you have to take that into consideration as well this isn't even a question but I think I want to ask it I know for me and the youth leaders, this is the weirdest conversation to have because even with, with, with yourself, when we were in high school, I never had this conversation with anyone. I never talked to anyone about anxiety. That's like not that long ago that I graduated high school or whatever. I don't know how long that was. It was sometime. All right. <laughs> it's my wife. Bless the Lord. Okay. Um, it's not even that long ago and we never talked about this. So why is this everywhere? Why, why do you believe that in every high school, this is one of the most major problems that's happening now today? Do you, does any, do you have any idea? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think because it's, it's, it's out there, it's like abuse, it's like uh, bullying and, and everything, people are talking about it, it is real. And I think, like, I know when I was growing up, it was hard enough being a teenager, and I have so much respect for you guys and everything that you deal with, uh, with the pressures, knowing, you know, the, how competitive the job market is, how expensive it is to live, social media, all of the peer pressure around social media and outside of social media, and it's, it's a lot to navigate and um, to keep your, you know, your head screwed on through all of it, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. And so I think that there's, there's a lot of things that you and families look a lot different. And so there's just, there's a lot going on and it's easy to get overwhelmed. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with comparison. And because we have social media and because you know what your friends are doing or not doing, and they're only putting on the nice pictures and they're only telling you 
what they want you to know. I think that's a huge thing. So we compare ourselves. So there's a lot more comparison out there in general. Nobody knew what you were doing half the time, let alone when I was around, right? And so we were in charge of kind of that. And so if we told people, we told them. But they didn't see it or they didn't hear it from someone else. So I think that's a lot. And you guys, don't compare yourself. It will lead down a bad, a bad lane, a bad road. So don't. It's tough. It's tough. But I think comparison's a big, huge one. And I think sometimes we just go, you know what? I'm anxious. And yeah, most of us are anxious. And we actually should be, have some um, fright, <laughs> flight for certain things, but not for everything. So therefore, you have to, when your friend comes and says, I'm anxious about this, actually, you should be anxious about that test, right? So you have to decide. I think it's a bit of an epidemic. I agree. And I think, too, just um, we're doing this. My guess is you go back a little bit, um, probably not even that far, and these do, this wouldn't have happened. We're not talking about it. I think uh, awareness is much better. Um, transparency, meaning willingness to share what's going on, uh, makes a huge difference. Um, I remember, uh, so Freedom Session, one of the ministries that we have here at the church, if you sit there and you sit in one of the grads, they get up there, and um, this year I think they started doing this, they'll get a sign and they'll put three labels that they used to have on them, um, and then they'd flip it over, and it'd be three new labels that they have for themselves. And if you just look down the line and see the different things that people are admitting to, whether it's lust and uh, whether it's I had an abortion or whether this happened to me, it's all then on a sign they're exposing themselves um, in that sort of way. They're making themselves vulnerable. And I think what that does is it creates permission. It's like, they can say that. Maybe I could even be me um, around other people. The risk is when we're not talking about it, you kind of, you develop a culture of that. Everybody's got to put it together. And then you get all those comparisons out there. And this is what I'm seeing on social media. And um, there's no room for that. Yet we all have stuff. Um, it just looks different. But I think when we start having conversations like this and we start sharing our stories with other people, I don't know if you've noticed that. If you go a little bit one step down vulnerable with somebody and share something that happened, it's almost like they'll, not always, but a lot of times they'll meet you there. And then that gives you permission to go one more. And that's how you get to know somebody. That's how you really build relationships. So then those conversations start coming up. And you might meet them in a great place and all of a sudden they're not in a great place, but because you've developed that relationship, they can now share that. So I think that's a shift. And I love that you guys are able to be a part of that. Um, yet you have to contribute to that too. Because the risk is this series ends, you guys go on to the next thing and oh, let's put it back together, smile, nice face, here we go. But keep the conversation going, have those conversations, um, be vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, it's true. I guess the social media stuff actually is a bigger deal. Like when I was graduating high school, so like Instagram was cool, but everybody was making their picture like mustard colored and we thought that was the best thing ever. <laughs> And uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? And then you go back and you're like, why did I think this was a great idea? This is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And no one really gave it that much thought. And then now it's like, I'm taking 37 selfies to get the best lighting and, uh, and my nose just doesn't look great or whatever. I don't know, maybe that's just me. If I could, okay. share, if I could share a personal story. Uh, it's of a mustard fun. picture? Yes. <laughs> okay. No. Um, I actually, uh, in regards to social media, uh, I actually have a, a motorcycle, it's one of my passions. I love uh, riding my bike. And uh, I actually follow a lot of Instagram companies that uh, promote motorcycles. And so every single day I wake up and I'm looking at all these motorcycles. And I actually, two years ago, bought technically my dream bike. Um, the one that was gonna end every want for a bike ever again. And, uh, and so every day, but still, I'm, I'm watching all these motorcycle posts come up and I actually start to, to have a want for something different than the one that I already have. Um, and I actually noticed myself starting to get sad because the one I have is not allowing me to do the things that I'm seeing every single day on these Instagram posts. And it's, it's absurd, I know, none of you experience this. Um, but I was actually starting to feel symptoms of sadness um, about these posts. And I actually had to become, come to the point of unfollowing every single motorcycle company I followed. I followed a lot. It was almost disgusting. Um, <laughs> and it actually, after a while of not thinking about it, day in and day out, it actually totally changed my perspective. I love my motorcycle and my life is amazing. <laughs> that was a quick turn. 
But it is true. Like, you go onto Instagram and, like, you see that guy. He's, like, in Mexico. He's jacked out of his face. And I'm like, look at me and my dirty mustache. Like, and it, you just... Anyways, okay. Uh, next, uh, next question. Uh, this has to do with a lot of what we've talked about. So we, in, in, if you guys are up to date on how we kind of did the series, we talked about kind of like thought life as Christians, and then we talked about fear and anxiety, and then Josh spoke on depression last week, and then we are here today on the blessed day that is today. And, uh, and in one of those, uh, fear and anxiety, we talked about the idea of casting your anxiety on God. And uh, so one of the questions was, what do you do when you felt like you've casted and casted and casted and casted and nothing is changing? What do I do then? Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, I talked a little bit about this last week. Have the purpose. Like, why am I in this? How can I have that big picture um, that'll actually help me endure whatever it is that I'm going through? Uh, um, Trying not to be too theological and grounding it. Um, I think a big part is recognize who God is and who we are. Um, he is in absolute control. In a moment, he could remove anxiety, depression for life. Um, and you'll hear testimonies too where people, they're caught up in addiction or caught up in this and they come to Jesus, um, whether it's through salvation or just, look, I surrender. I don't want to be feeling this anymore. And all of a sudden they're healed. And they step away that day forward, and they don't struggle with it. And do we serve a God who can do that? Absolutely, in a moment. Um, he's the great physician, the healer. Um, and sometimes in his wisdom, he chooses for it to remain or return and show up in different ways. Um, kind of the, the classic example is Paul, and he had a thorn in his side, um, in his flesh. We don't necessarily know what that was. Who knows? It could have been anxiety. It could have been depression. It could have been something else. But God, like he pleaded with God, take this, take this. I don't want this. I don't want to have to endure this. Take this from me. And for some reason, uh, which we don't necessarily understand in God's wisdom, he chose to leave it. Yet uh, Paul alludes to this that there was a shaping um, that happened in him. I think Romans 5 uh, talks about that, what is suffering produced, eventually then hope. Uh, so there's perseverance and character in there. It's, it shapes us. Um, and so think about some of the things that are in your life. And it doesn't have to be anxiety or depression, but something you're struggling with. A lot of times you say, God, just take this from me. Remove this from me. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to deal with it. Um, and I heard a professor once say, in some ways, um, it's saying, God, can you love me less? Um, can you stop shaping me for now? Just remove it. And yes, there are times that we do need to be praying that. And he knows our heart and we pour out in that way. But sometimes he's choosing to leave that there because we're then man, we're drawn back to him. It's like, God, I don't know what to do here. I need your help. I'm terrified going into this, or I have no motivation to do this. Um, I don't even want to go on. I don't feel like living anymore, whatever it might be. But what are we doing in that moment? We're coming to him. We're trusting him. We're surrendering to him. And we're recognizing where we are relative to him, that he has the power to step in and heal. And that transforms us because that's the big picture purpose. We're here to be transformed into his likeness so that we can honor and glorify him in everything that we do. And sometimes that takes the pain, the sin, the difficulties in the world to help shape us in it. And we don't get it. Like if you read through Psalm, uh, the psalmist uh, David is then crying out in so many different ways, like, where are you? I, I, my bones are drying up. I don't even, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. And then all of a sudden, you are awesome. I love you. Your word is fantastic. Um, and then he's back in another place too. God wants to hear exactly what's going on because that's part of that shaping. It's recognizing who we are in light of who he is. Yeah, and I think it's also important, like even with uh, the Paul Thorne, the flesh stuff, like he he kind of says, like, because I'm so smart, God has humbled me by giving me this thing, which is exactly the same thing, interestingly, is what Peter is saying. Humble yourself, cast all of your anxieties onto God. And so there is an aspect of shaping, and, and the illustration that I always use with this, and it's, it's kind of hard because it's hard to say this to someone. In anxiety and depression, there is always a purpose and a cause as to why it's there. So what begins to happen on the God view of things is imagine if I had my face stuck up against a stained glass window and what am I going to see? Just maybe jagged cracks, some, some different colors, different tones, a bit of texture, but I can't really make it to be whatever it actually is. And so I take 20 steps back, see the full picture and go, that's actually what this was. And so what Paul's trying to say in, in that whole thing is, I have this thing that God won't take it away, 
But because he won't take it away, I can actually trust that this is doing something better for me than I think it is. And that has a lot more to do with trust than it does with anything else. Is if you keep trying over and over and over and over and over, it's not that he's not paying attention. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's he's saying, just hold on. Listen, this is going to be great for you. And I think that's an encouragement for us to even want to know. Because even in this conversation, if you're talking to someone and um, they're going through anxiety and it goes as far as you possibly can, there has to be some hope for you that God actually is playing a part in whatever is happening. And that's the part we don't want to lose. Uh, this, let's get you know, very technical and medical, whatever. For us, it's also this aspect of we actually have a father who cares, loves for us, and wants to have compassion and show what his whole goal is for this. And I think that's really important for us to kind of understand as well. Um, yeah, if I can add one, yeah. one little sentence to that. Um, uh, I think it's a really important for us to understand and keep understanding every single day, just continue to grow in it, that God is more concerned about our reliance on him than he is about our health, our wealth, uh, or our relationships. It's, I, tell, I try to tell myself this every single day. God is more concerned with your reliance on him than he is with your health, wealth, or relationships. And if you feel like nothing is happening and you say, well, I'm giving it to him, I keep giving it to him, I keep giving, nothing's happening, nothing's changing, then maybe you need to go find someone that can help you figure out to come at it from a different angle. Right? Maybe they can give you something that would just, oh, okay, I'll try that. And you try it for a week and you're accountable to them. So maybe the angle you're going at isn't working for you. So find someone. Yeah, and I just wanted to say there's, there's um, <clears throat> one personality type in particular that is a bit more prone because their personality type is very, uh, they just feel everything emotionally to a much greater extent. Um, but that also puts them at, at a bit more risk. And so that's just something that is like a, it's, it's a, a natural default for them to go to. And so they just have to be kind of diligent about not, not allowing that to control them too. And so it, that's something that is kind of never going to be cured because it's, your, it's kind of your natural default. But you can kind of keep it in check and not allow you know, your whole life to be glasses half empty, right? Or, um, and, and to see yourself as God's creation and that your personality is beautiful and that, um, that you, you can just learn to celebrate that instead of constantly fight it. And I think sometimes the more we try to fight something, um, the, the more anxious we can get about it too. It, it's good to, to, to create, um, tools for yourself to, to cope and healthy ways to think about things. Um, but sometimes you can, you can have anxiety about your anxiety. Right? And, and sometimes, to be honest, we might think that we're casting and we're, we're actually not. Um, I know even for me, when I was going through my big season of depression and kind of just anxiety and worry and freaking out and like whatever, I, I kept on saying, God, why don't you take this away? Why don't you take this away? Why don't you take this away? And I realized that the whole time I was doing it, and Augustine says it in like a beautiful way, this like old dead guy. He says um, that really what we tend to do is just worry in God's direction. And that's not really casting. And I found myself going, all I'm doing is just freaking out and then saying God at the end of my sentence. Rather than actually humbling myself and giving that thing away until the first time I actually went and did that and I was like, okay, that was way easier than I thought. And it was a game changer, but it actually took like a massive effort for me and it was, it was pretty front heavy on that. Um, now let's, let's, I wanna kind of dig into something a little bit more, more serious here. Um, in the last couple months, we've had uh, a slew of suicides and people just kind of passing away, which has kind of impacted us as, as a community here. Um, which has also obviously been very tough. And one of the things that I've kind of always heard was, you know, I never knew it was actually that bad. 
Um, but some of us sometimes do. A friend walks up to you and says, hey, I've been thinking about doing this or killing myself or whatever. Um, and I want to kind of hit both, both sides of that coin. So what, if, what, what do you do if your friend comes to you and says, hey, I want to I kill myself? And also, on the other side of it, what if that idea comes into your mind, which you never thought it was going to before? What do you do as the friend and as the person actually going through it? Um, first off, you can't be the only person who knows that. Um, actually, no, first off and before that. If they're coming and telling you, that's fantastic. Um, that is huge. Um, as Julie was saying, that isolation thing can be so big, and it's then their world, and, and all the layers that come with that. If somebody knew this about me, they'd run away, um, whatever it might be. So if they're telling you that, you've already done a great job up until that point. You need to know that. You've cultivated the relationship. Uh, I think second don't freak out. It's okay. Take it seriously. Um, so also don't brush it off to the side and listen, be curious. Um, it's kind of pieces of what everybody's been saying uh, through the night of um, just wonder, okay, what's going on? Talk to me about that. And then the part of who else knows, who else is in your world? Um, especially, um, yeah, you guys are old, uh, but you're young at the same time. And so while you can handle a lot, you also, even as adults, we then can't handle all of that, just one person carrying that, um, that's, that's really heavy. And so asking them, who else is in your world? Who else knows that? And how can we bring others into it? Do your parents know? Um, as Donlin was saying, talking about an adult, does a counselor know? Have you told your pastor? Have you told, does somebody else then know? Because you can't then play detective and try to figure out okay, it must be because of this, and then here's our game plan, there we go. It's, you need a whole support network for you as you come alongside them, and definitely for that person, um, as they're gonna need a whole team trying to figure out what the next steps are. And even if your friend says, please don't tell anybody, you need to tell somebody, you need to tell a trusted adult teacher, uh, counselor, youth pastor, whoever, um, you could be, you know, preventing that person from actually being successful the, the next time. And so um, it, it is so important. Um, I've worked with a lot of families um, and individuals and people who've been involved uh, around suicide. And it's just, uh, it, it's like you talked about, then a plan can be put in place to help protect that person. And so it's very important to, you know, not, not hold that, um, you know, what that person has shared with you. Because um. the feeling is real. It's real to them, enough for them to come to you and say, I want to kill myself. It's a cry for help. So they're saying to you, I need help. They're not saying, I need help. But they're saying, I, I, I'm thinking that I'm going to think that I might kill myself. You have to. You have to take. I remember someone getting in my car and asked them how they were doing and they say, it's a terrible day. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to kill myself. So I, I was the adult. She was an adult. I took her straight to the hospital because I took her seriously. If that's how she's feeling, then I couldn't save her. And I wanted a team around us to help her through it. So if someone's saying that to you and telling you, like Julie said, don't tell anybody, you actually have to tell someone. That is, that is part of being a good friend. What was the second part? If you have that thought yourself coming in? And yeah, I think... Can I just add one? Yep. Whoa. Can I just add one thing before? Um, one of the things that begins to happen with us is that we're so aware of relationships at times that we're like, ooh, if I say that thing, then this is going to go sideways. Or if I try to do this, that's going to go sideways. You try to control relationships as much as you can with people. Somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, I think I want to kill myself. And then in, in your mind, right away, you begin to try to play every circumstance. Okay, if I do this, this goes wrong. If I do this, uh, okay. If I do this, uh, if I just avoid it, nothing happens. Hopefully it ends up well. Okay, I'm going to take that option. But then you also have to sit back and think of this. Say they tell you to not say anything to anyone, and you're their friend, maybe even their best friend. And you say yes to that. And you are bound because you said you weren't going to tell anyone. The question you have to then ask is, are you okay with losing a friend to possibly save their life? And that's a very real thing. In the Christian life, we are caused with decisions all the time. 
where it goes, am I going to challenge that person because of the sin issue in their life where I might lose a relationship, but they might actually come to know Jesus more than ever before? I have to take the risk going, no, them knowing Jesus is the most important thing, and if I lose them as a friend, that sucks. But in the end of this, if they know Jesus more, that's the most important thing. So the question for us to then be going in this situation is, is it okay for me to lose someone who I'm really close to, but I still get to see them in 20 years? And that has to be something that we remember as well, is that you being close to that person is not the most important thing. Them being alive is the most important thing. So let's go into the, the second half of that. So if you're the person who have had that thought of, I wanna kill myself, and sometimes that, I had that one time and it was like an existential crisis. I was like, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was saved. Why am I having these thoughts? This is the dumbest thing in the world. Who am I? Oh my gosh. I, I guess I love Satan. Like I, that's literally what, what went through my mind. Um, so what do you, what, what would you guys have to say to that side of it? Um. Yeah, I, uh, that curiosity thing. Be curious about yourself. Um, so if that thought comes in, don't run to a judgment place. Um, yikes, this must mean therefore, and you start going down that path. And that happens with anxiety sometimes. Anxiety loves to, okay, what are the worst possible options here? Yep, grab that one, grab that one, and just let's stew on it. And that's going to happen, uh, especially if you haven't had thoughts like that before. Uh, hear me, I no way want to minimize it. There are a lot of people who do have thoughts of wanting to harm themselves or kill themselves. Thoughts don't necessarily mean you're going to follow through with it, but you do want, it's like the check engine light coming on of, okay, this is serious. I need to figure out why this is here. Um, so like a check engine light, you need to get under the hood and um, as much as you can figure out what's there. I'm not mechanical, so I'd have to go to a mechanic because I don't know. Um, same sort of thing. You need to go to whether it's a mentor or a counselor and just say, hey, this came up and I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. Help. And then what they can do is kind of slow things down. When did it start? Has it happened before? What's going on? What are some circumstances that come to mind around it? And then they can help you with practical things um, and even just having another person to be able to share it with. And that's the beauty of counseling as well. It doesn't go outside of that room unless it does get to that level where it's, yes, I want to kill myself. And because we care so much about the people that we meet with, we want them to come back the next time. We want them to be able to live the life that God's called them to live. So there are times where, yeah, we would then uh, take them to the hospital uh, to make sure they're getting that full-on support they need. But they can talk about those things, figure out um, what's going on for them, um, and get the healing that they need. And I guess the, the, the neatest thing is, is being able to work with people who have had suicidal ideation or a plan and seeing them three years later and life is is going well, right? And, you know, it's not to minimize someone's, um, you know, risk for suicide, but there are times in life where you feel like your situation is hopeless. There are situations that are pretty brutal to deal with, whether it's, you know, ongoing bullying or, um, you know, sexual assault or things that are, you know, just, it could be any number of things. Um, even dealing with kind of low-grade depression for a long time and you're just sick of it um, and feeling like nobody gets you. But I, I've seen people come out on the other end and, and yeah, you know, they have joy and they have relationships that they love, whether it's friendships or a partner, at, like, you know, and they're, they have a passion about something. And so um, just to really get the help and even if, um, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I, I you know, talk to, a counselor and it just it didn't work it wasn't the right fit I'm so glad that they you know tried someone else so don't give up you know just keep um, trying to find solutions and keep talking to people that you know are you know trustworthy uh, that are gonna care about you properly right and um, yeah just don't give up uh, I just want to do two more things uh, before we wrap up um, so the last question would be, and I would point this to Donna Lynn. I'm not going to assume that everybody in the room here is a Christian, um, but how does it differ from being a follower of Jesus with anxiety and depression versus someone who doesn't believe anything about God with anxiety and depression? 
Because you have a win on your side. Because it's Jesus, right? So I truly believe that he can see you through. And even though it's foggy and you think you can't do it, or even if it's, it seems overwhelming, or someone has a situation where you think that just is so overwhelming, he can see the other side. He can see the end. And he only wants your good. And he only wants the good for you. And so you have to lean into him. And you might not know what that looks like, so then you have to help get someone to help you do that. And so we were talking about anxiety. Someone mentioned tools. And one of the tools that even if, if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling depressed and you don't want to get up, instead of the first thought it is, have your first thought say, help me, Jesus. Find something that triggers that you remember that he's going to help you. He's in the win for you. And so you have to figure out, what does that look like for me on everything? And it becomes kind of your little thing with God. I need you. Help me. Whatever that word that comes out and that you just want to yell to him to help you. And he will. He is always listening. Even though we think he's not, he is. And he wants to help you. And if he puts in your mind, hey, I should call that leader. I bet that leader might listen to me. That's exactly who you should call. Um, and the last one uh, that I want to not really ask, but as, and I know when I go to panels and stuff, I always walk away and I was like, oh, I should have said that zinger line or whatever. And we always got to come into these things with these like, this is the thing I want to tell them because whatever. <laughs> um, but is there any like last second things of wisdom that you guys just kind of have from either your experiences or in situations or cases where you've kind of gone through anxiety that you would want to like, leave as one lasting statement from each of you um, before we leave here. We can just start with Julie. Um, I think I'll just reiterate what I've already said. Uh, move away in your entire life from becoming the judge, jury, and executioner. Um, I think it'll help you so much in your, in your life from now uh, till the, the, the day that you die and go home to be with Jesus. Um, it will help you with your friendships. It will help you in your marriage. It will help you with your parents. Um, it will help you with the, the way that you just view life. Um, yeah. Um. Look within. I think that's uh, what comes to mind, that uh, when these things come up, we have choices. We can either try to run from it. I think Julie talked about sometimes it's we're born, we rev higher. Uh, we, uh, we're just anxious, and that's just how we're going to be uh, going forward. Um, and we can fight that uh, again and again and again. Um, and or uh, we can then just kind of come to terms with that as well. Uh, recognize, God, take this from me, yet if you're not going to, help me to endure it. Uh, but that look within part is um, be willing to face it, be willing to face whatever the circumstances are that are so difficult, the things that we'd rather run from, the things that we'd rather hide from, um, but just look within and invite him to come in. Say, God, I don't get this. I can't do it on my own. I need you in this. Meet me here and bring healing and then surround me with people that can support me in this. And from there, you can start to have that hope of steps forward and that bigger picture hope, which we all have, that we may have to endure this for the rest of our lives. And that can be despairing at times, but we are all, all, all guaranteed that there will be a day um, when, yeah, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. And that's then the hope. That's what we have our sights set on, as, uh, as Paul's talking about. We're running this race here, and we can then follow that, um, and it can help us endure whatever it is on a day-to-day -day basis. My advice to you, or my zinger as you're calling it, is that people care. We care. We're on a panel. We're on a panel because Josh asked us to do it because we care for you. We don't know you. Some of you know some of the people on the panel. I don't know a lot of you. But I chose to come here tonight because I care. I care for your mental health. Your leaders care. They give up an evening, if not time, in prayer. So remember that someone cares. No matter how you're feeling today, someone cares. And so you need to try and find that person and come. And even if you say nothing, you stand in front of them and God will tell them what to pray for you or how to help you walk through that. So just know that someone does care. Um, 
I want to leave you with one of my favorite verses um, that I've applied a lot in my life, <clears throat> and it's uh, Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, lovely, noble, right, excellent, praiseworthy, think of such things. And whether things are going well or things are not going well, to um, think about those things. Uh, and the last thing that I kind of want to say to you guys is, uh, I think one of the problems of kind of youth ministry, I guess, is, and I guess church in general, is a lot of the time we come as consumers. We show up and we say to the church, do something for me um, or do something to me. And that's what I want out of this relationship. Um, and then, but we all kind of know that's not how relationships work. Um, we get into this space where um, we get annoyed if we're the person who has to text first. Why do I always have to text first? Why does nobody text me? Oh my gosh, and we just get so upset about that kind of stuff. Because we want to, have, we want to be passive in the relationship. Um, but what I would say here today, for those of you who have been here for a while and are super integrated, um, and for some of you who are looking for just a way in, what I would say is do not be the passive individual in relationships, be the active person in the relationship. Don't care if you have to be the first person to text. Don't care if you're always the one initiating conversations or going over to that person's house all the time. Why don't they come to my house? Blah, blah, blah. Why do we just have to sleep over at their house? Be the active individual. Even here, the biggest strong thing is I am not good enough at my job to get all of you connected. And it takes responsibility on your end to go, if I want to get better, if I want to have greater and deeper relationships, take the initiative and go after them. And I think that'd be a game changer, especially if all of those relationships are so centered around who Jesus is. I think it would change a lot for us. Thank you guys so much. Let's give a round of applause to the panel. As, uh... I just wanna, I just wanna pray for us as we kind of leave here today. Uh, leave us with a couple quick announcements, and uh, that will be the rest of our night. Father, thank you so much for uh, just these individuals here uh, for the panel. Uh, these people are unbelievable. They are just so wise. Uh, they have volumes and volumes of knowledge about things um, in regards to who you are and also in regards to how these kind of situations work out in life. Um, I just pray that we would just take the initiative to go and work and, and join people who are also in this struggle and we would just kind of, uh, as Josh said last week, to just kind of join them in the pit and be there with them and learn how to be a good friend. Maybe that's the one thing that we got away from this. Maybe I need to learn how to be a good friend and how to just love you more and allow the love of you to then reflect my love for people and uh, that we could just do that with, with all of our hearts. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.